Good morning. I'm Corey, and I'm so glad you're here on the Legacy Channel. I have something just for you. Do you find yourself sometimes driving your car and somebody is in the wrong lane and they turn left and you're trying to go straight and you honk that horn and you yell at them and instruct them how to drive correctly? Do you find yourself doing this? Do you find yourself as an older person saying, you know what, I'm old enough now, I'm going to say rude things to everyone and it doesn't matter because I'm old. Do you find yourself calling in to radio host shows because you know exactly how the politics of this country should go and everyone should listen to you? Do you find yourself yelling at sporting events, at coaches, players, and refs, even though you've never played that game in your life, you know better than they do. If you find yourself in this situation, you'll notice that there is a burning sensation right here in your body. It is called self-righteous indignation. And if you find yourself with self-righteous indignation today, I have something just for you. If you have self-righteous indignation, take one scoop of this flame out, mix it with water and drink it, and the flame will go away. That way you can be ready for your next self-righteous indignation event. The next time someone cuts you off in traffic or asks you a question that you know absolutely nothing about, but you go ahead and answer it anyway as if you do, this product is for you. Now, that's in jest, obviously. <clears throat> but what I love about this series, and we're wrapping up our series today, about dealing with difficult people, is that this series reminds me of the famous old Jimmy Buffett song, Margaritaville. In the first verse of Margaritaville, it is definitely her fault. <laughs> In the second verse of Margaritaville, maybe it's his fault. By the time it gets to the third verse, whose fault is it? It's definitely his fault. <laughs> so we're to the point in this series of difficult people where we might be the difficult person. Now, in every difficult people situation, there are always two sides. So even though the other person that you're dealing with might be the difficult person, there's still you involved. And so usually, if, especially if there's conflict, there's enough blame to go around for everybody. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with difficult situations? And we're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth and we're going to discuss this because Paul gave some great advice. Now, before we look into this letter, I want to give you a little background. The first is, is this is uh, one of the books of the Bible. Even though we call it a book, it is a letter. And the letter is written to the church in Corinth. Very specific people, very specific time, very specific situation. The letter was not written to you. It was written to Corinth. But the early... Uh, gatherers of the Bible put it in there because there's truths about God in there, all right? So we're going to explore Paul's advice to this church in Corinth and how that could apply to our life. But in order to understand, because this letter, Paul is responding to something specific and to specific people, we need to understand Corinth. So Corinth, I have a map. Yay, there it is. Uh, we have technical difficulties, so I don't have a screen. So if I turn around a lot, I'm sorry. It's not my best side, but um, I will have to look. 
So Corinth is situated very uniquely uh, within the geography of, of ancient times. It is on near a land bridge. This land bridge is about a mile wide. And sailors, if they were to, to sail in, the, uh, in that area, they would have to go all the way around this huge peninsula. When they get to the south side of this peninsula, it was, there was a strait. There were a lot of storms in there, and there's some rocky shores. A lot of cargo was lost. A lot of lives were lost if they sail around this and end up on the other side in the Gulf of Corinth. The easiest way and the safest way the Corinthians came up with was that you would land your ship on the one side and then they would take your ship and cargo and transport it across that land bridge. It would save time, it would save lives and save cargo. So that you would pull up and they had, they had back then, way back then during uh, Jesus' time, they had a way to put the ship up on, on logs. They put the cargo on carts and they would roll the ship across this mile isthmus, this land bridge, to the other side. Well, you have a captive audience. What does the crew do while the ship is being moved across? Well, the crew goes to Corinth. As they make their way to Corinth, uh, this became so popular and the people coming here was, the expectation was built up in the city of Corinth that there was an actual marble road made from each side straight into Corinth. So all you had to do was follow the marble road, very expensive, marble road into Corinth and Corinth had everything. Corinth had shopping. Corinth had alcohol. Corinth had food. Corinth had everything. Corinth even had, if you wanted to, to worship, you could go up on the hill. There was a temple up there where you could pay a price and you get some alone time to worship with one of the temple prostitutes. Do I need to explain that any further? Sure, yeah. Somebody said sure. Yeah, later. That's after the service, ask me about that. I'll be happy to explain. All right. Corinth had everything. And so these sailors would come off their ships. They would take the marble road up into Corinth and they would take and spend their precious money and time doing whatever they wanted while the ship was being transported across this land bridge. Does Corinth remind you of, of any place here in the U.S.? Hey, it reminds me of Las Vegas, right? Because you could go to Las Vegas and get anything or do anything that you want. You can even worship at that same temple. <laughs> Shopping, alcohol, food, it's all there. And it's very much, these two cities are actually very similar in that regard. So what are the things we don't like about Vegas? I'll have the next one. People, oh my word, there are people galore in Vegas. It is just, it is packed. And the same in Corinth. There were people everywhere because they were transient. They were coming in. Their ships were being transported, especially in high season. And it was just packed with people who did not live in Corinth, but were just there temporarily. Now, what is a modern-day problem we have? Traffic. Yeah, it's... And did you know that during the F1 race last year in 2023, Las Vegas Boulevard was down to one lane each direction? Oh, man traffic, right? Yeah. So then 
what's the other thing as you walk around Vegas that it, that's annoying? Buskers, right? People trying to get your money from you. you. They come up to you and act all friendly and they say, let's take a picture. Okay, let's take a picture. As you take a picture, that'll be $60 each. And you're like, oh, great. I just love Vegas. And so the people in the church in Corinth was small. It was actually a converted synagogue. It was a synagogue. They turned it into a church after Paul had been there. And it was a small worshiping community within Corinth. And they saw this kind of stuff every day. And they started to build up a little self-righteous indignation. They started to not like the people there. They started to not, uh, they started to get angry. They started to be, to get a little anxious and, of course, in the letter to Paul, it's their fault because they're the ones there buying all that stuff, worshiping at that temple, shopping like crazy, spending all their money. It is their fault, right? So Paul writes a letter and says, it's not them, it's you. You're the problem. So I think the next slide is a question, right? Please let it be a question. It's not a question. It is the verse, right? It's the verse. The question comes later. Sorry, guys. That is my notes. <laughs> All right. So what Paul does is he gives the, the church in Corinth some advice. And the advice is to act like God. Now, we know from one of Paul's other letters that God is love. And so what Paul does is that in this letter, he describes what love is and isn't. What's interesting is that if you get into the, the scholarship of the letter, they talk about how the letter is just written, they actually dictated. It goes and goes and goes until it gets to this section that we're at right here. This section is very special. It's almost like Paul was writing a song or writing a poem. He took time with this. This is very different than the rest of his writing. This is something he worked on specifically to help us understand and how to deal and replace our self-righteous indignation with these words. This is found in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you'd like to follow along. And I will be looking at verses 4, 5, and 6, I think. Yeah, sure, that'll work. So, this, remember, God is love, right? And so, he's describing what love is, what love does, what love doesn't. And he's prescribing that into us, that how we should be. So, let's read that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. This is hard stuff. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things which I believe is verse 7. So we got a bonus there. 
Yeah, we got a bonus. It's a bonus for you because I'm not going to cover that. That's, that's just for you, all right? So now what's next? Is it the question? Yes. All right. So what Paul is saying that in dealing with difficult people, in dealing with the people of Corinth and those people who cut you off in traffic, for those people who you just know the politics are right, or for the players and your attitude comes up, your self-righteous indignation comes up, do you, how do you know that you're the problem? If you can answer this question, you're the difficulty when you're easily offended and rarely ashamed. It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else is to blame. Somebody else is the cause. I'm going to speak my self-righteous words because I'm right. And I'm not ashamed of that. And the other people offend me. That play offended me. That ref call offended me. And I know I'm right. How many of you after the, ba- after the basketball, football games, had a little self-righteous indignation? Not you? <laughs> well, I happened to be in Vegas when those two games were played. <laughs> I happened to be in Vegas when those two games were played. There was a lot of self-righteous indignation going on with those two games. So let's, let's look at this a little further. What Paul prescribes for us to replace and how we should be. So Paul gives us this, the first part of the, of the verse, gives us this list. There's a list, right? It's there somewhere. Love is. Oh, you're going to give them to me one at a time. Awesome. Just give them all. Boom, boom, boom. Perfect. Love is patient. I don't have time to cover all of these, okay? Love is patient, kind, not envious, not boastful. Not arrogant or rude. Let's cover these last two here real quick. On, on my way to church this morning, on my way to church this morning, see, I teach, I teach Ukrainians, refugees, and immigrants how to drive. They get their permit. I teach them how to drive, how to pass their test. That's what I do. It's one of the things that I do working for Legacy and Mission Bismarck. So on the way to church this morning, Calgary Avenue has changed its traffic pattern. There used to be only two lanes, but now there's three. There's a right turn lane, a left turn lane, and a straight lane. And the straight lane, they have taken out the left turn arrows, so they're not white anymore. They're, they're kind of the shadow of them is there. The, the white arrows are gone. And on the left side is a lane with those, those white arrows. Clear as day to me. There's one other car at that intersection. I pull up behind it. It's in the straight lane with its left blinker on. And I think, okay, I'm preaching this today, so let's act it. I'm preaching this today, so let's act it. The light turns green. The car comes across. And it stops <laughs> in front of me in the straight lane. My car has got a great horn. Whoo, that baby's good. I blew that horn. The car jerked a little bit and then took off. And I thought, I can't even do my own sermons. 
living life is difficult. And I think I know better on how to drive. I know better than most people how to drive. Roundabouts, this is not a rant. Roundabouts, (laughs) when you exit a roundabout, use your blinker so the people coming into the roundabout know you're coming off, right? That's, That's how you do a roundabout. When you're coming off, put your blinker on so the people can keep going, the flow of traffic can keep going. Otherwise, it's a guess. Forget the pickups that just go right right through the middle of it, don't even go around. (laughs) So what do you do? With my self-righteous indignation, do I go out there with a sign, use your blinker, dummy? Yeah. (laughs) Here, you need some of this. (laughs) Uh, Or do I constantly, consistently, lovingly, patiently, not arrogantly, consistently use my blinker the way that it should work so that other people can see. And you know, what, you know what's funny is that after I use the same roundabout several times, after a while, I notice that more and more people are using their blinker so the traffic can keep moving because God gave me patience and not be rude and honk at people, but to constantly show the right way to do it. All right, let's look at the second half of this list. Love doesn't insist on its own way. You know, sometimes, how many of you are really good at being a two-year-old sometimes? It's got to be my way. boy, Connor. It's got to be my way. It's got to be my way. And sometimes within the grace of working with people, you become the difficult person because it has to be your way. And it doesn't always have to be your way. Because I have to tell you, Paul's list is a description of God. Paul's list is a description of God. So what would happen if God always got his way? What would happen if God always got his way? you wouldn't have a choice. You wouldn't have a choice whether or not to love him. You wouldn't have a choice whether or not to be here. You wouldn't have a choice about anything in your life because God would just get his way. And yet through his patience, his kindness, his love, he never forces us to do anything. He allows us to get to know him, to engage his love, and accept it on his terms and on our terms. Life would be very different if God insisted on his own way. It is not irritable. Man, some of you need to read this. It is not irritable. Keeps no records of wrongs. You know the old uh, Garth Brooks song? We buried the hatchet, but we left the... Yep, yep, what's what? We buried the hatchet, but we left the, we left the handle sticking out. <laughs> we keeps no records of wrongs, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, and rejoices in truth. This is how God is. This is how God is with us all of the time. And this is how Paul is asking us to counteract self-righteous indignation by being like 
God by being like Christ and living our lives like that. How many of you think that's hard? Two of you have not fallen asleep. Excellent. This is hard. And because your pastor failed this on the way to church this morning, it is not a one and done thing. It is a lifelong process that God works in our lives. I have some good news for you. I have some good news for you. And it is the same news that Paul gives the church in Corinth. It is the same news that God gives us. It is the same good news that we're going to celebrate in a very few weeks. How many of you are surprised that Easter is not in April, but in March, um, that we are going to celebrate in a few weeks? And that is that Jesus' death and resurrection, gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives gives us the strength and the power to live our lives like this. And when we fail, he gives us the grace, the patience. He lives all these things all the time in our lives. When we fail, he gives us the grace, the patience, the kindness, the love. And he doesn't force us, but encourages us to live in that way. We are going to move into a time of communion. Was that it? Did I, did I get them all? Yep, that's it? All right. We're going to move into a time of communion. And the reason why that we're moving into a time of communion now, besides the fact it's on the schedule, but this time of communion, this is the reason why you have access to the power and the strength of Jesus Christ to live a life of love that Paul prescribed to the Corinthians and in turn prescribes to us. Isn't that great news? Isn't that wonderful news? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the disciples up for a last meal. He went up to the upper room, and as the disciples entered, they noticed, he noticed, they noticed that there was no servant there to wash their feet. And so they came in, they saw the basin of water, and they saw the bowl, they saw the towels, but they said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's beneath me. I'm not doing that. The last one to come into the room is Jesus. Jesus sees that there's no servant, no slave. He sees the bowl and the water. He sees the towel, and he takes his outer robe off, wraps it around his waist, pours the water into the bowl, takes the towel and begins to wash the disciples' feet one at a time. The disciples don't like this because Jesus is in a position of power and authority. He's rabbi, he's teacher. Some have come to believe that he's the Messiah, that he is God. They don't want this, but Jesus insists. After Jesus is done, he stands up and he looks at the disciples and he said, you see how the world works, how power works in the world. The world loves power, loves control, loves to grind you into the dirt. But I have just defined for you how God sees power. 
Power defined in the kingdom is serving one another. If you want to be great in the kingdom, then serve. Serve. 